The following is a presentation of Remnant. Hey, this is Jeremiah from Remnant Church. We want you to be encouraged and filled with hope through your experience as you listen in. This life can be complicated, even confusing, but it's our hope that you catch a glimpse of God's unconditional love for you and His purpose for your life. Thanks for listening. You're listening to a message from Pastor Jeremiah Vick. When we started the series, we kind of counted the weeks down and we're like, okay, there's this many chapters in the Gospel of John, and we have so many weeks until we get to Easter, and so we were a little bit nervous about that. We're, we're like, is this going to be awkward for us to, all of a sudden, during the, mini, the middle of our Gospel of John study, to just kind of jump where we're at, and then jump into an Easter message, and then try to get back into the Gospel of John. But God really worked things out to where the number of weeks were exactly the number of weeks that it took for us to get to John chapter 12 today, which is the, the passage that talks about Palm Sunday. So that was a really cool thing that God did, but then we, me and Jerry were like, okay, well, that, that was cool, but, but what about afterwards? Because we always start our family series on Mother's Day. And so we're like, if we, if we take this, you know, and count the weeks out, we end up ending the Gospel of John study on the Sunday before our Mother's Day service. I'm just like, man, God did, we're not that smart. Let me just put, put that out there for you guys. I don't want you to think that, that your pastors are really intelligent people, because we just kind of like fumble our way through lives like everybody else, right? I mean... <laughs> It's pretty much a miracle when something comes together like that. But, but the reason I think that that's so cool is because I think God has something for us in this. Um, if, if maybe if you know, God didn't want us to, to spend so much time in the Gospel of John, maybe these things wouldn't work out, right? We would have had to really fight it to, to try to make it work. But I love it when, I was going to say I love it when a plan comes together, but that's probably not appropriate there. Uh, but I love it when things really seem to work out and, and it's like we can't take credit for it. Right? Have you had days like that or moments like that where things go really well and then unfortunately you can't take any credit for it? You're just like, oh yeah, I had nothing to do with that. Right? Uh, God deserves the glory for, for those kind of moments. So we're giving him glory for this. So we get to start into Holy Week, be right on track with our Gospel of John study called Facing Jesus, and God has some really cool stuff for us. So we are actually going to jump um, from chapter 11, last week, um, Jerry spoke, and, and this chapter in John was about Lazarus, about Lazarus being raised from the dead. So you guys remember that story? Uh, you should, because it was just last week. Uh, if you weren't here last week, then obviously you can read up on that, but, uh, but Jesus performs like probably one of his greatest miracles during his earthly ministry, which was raising Lazarus from the dead. And it was such a phenomenal thing that, that it was a big deal. People really noticed it. And as a matter of fact, Palm Sunday, okay, or what some people call the triumphal entry, that, that trip where Jesus makes his way down the streets of Jerusalem, that would not have looked the same if Jesus had not healed Lazarus. Okay, I'm going to explain why in just a moment, but I want you to kind of keep that in your head, that if, if Lazarus had not been raised from the dead, then the triumphal entry probably would have been a little bit of a flop in the sense that there wouldn't have been people there, okay? We'll talk about why that's true in just a moment. But let me pray, because I don't want to break up our, our chapters. We kind of work our way through this. We're actually going to start in verse 12, and I want to explain some things that happened before that. But let me pray and ask that God would just open our minds and our hearts to all that he has for us today. So let's pray. Father, thank you that we can gather in this place, a place that is uh, a gymnasium, God, but it is your house uh, today, God, and it is your, um, your presence that, uh, that welcomes us here, God, and that meets us here. And Father, as we open your word today, God, I would ask that you would speak to our hearts, God, that our hearts would be open and ready to receive all that you have for us, God. Help us to, to leave here with, with knowledge of the significance of, of this this historic moment in history, but, but also, God, help us to, to understand what it means to us so that we might be able to uh, leave this place different because of the time we spend in your word. 
And so, God, uh, I realize that's a lot to ask for the short amount of time that we have, God, but we know that you are powerful, God, and that you can do that in our hearts and in our minds. And so, God, we just lift up our time together to you. I pray that my words would be yours this morning. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I mentioned, um, as we start out in John chapter 12, there's still a lot of buzz about the fact that Lazarus, a guy that had been dead for four days, uh, was raised back to life, okay? So people are kind of talking about that. The news has gotten around. Matter of fact, it's, it's spread from, from uh, Bethany, where that happened, um, all the way to Jerusalem, and Jesus just happens to be heading that direction. Um, this news, by the way, is um, exciting news for like the common folk, right? The people that are just hearing about this great um, teacher, this rabbi that's coming into town that has done these miraculous things. It's good news for those people, but for some people, it's not good news. So there's a group of people that, as we've been talking about, as we worked our way through this, um, this story so far, we discovered there's a group of people that really don't want to see Jesus um, be successful in any way. They don't want Jesus to have any attention. They don't want Jesus to be recognized for who he is. And so we're dealing with this group of religious leaders who are pretty upset about what just happened. Now, check this out. This is how mad they are about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. You know what they decided to do? They're like, let's, let's put Lazarus to death. That was like their decision, right? They get together and they're like, what are we going to do about this thing where Jesus, you know, brings this guy back to life? And the plan they come up with is we got to kill this guy. Think about this for a moment because I don't know that I ever spent very much time thinking about this as I read through the story. So here's Lazarus who had a really bad week. I mean, Lazarus was, Lazarus was sick. The, the Bible says that he was, he was deathly ill, and that was, that was for a period of time, a long enough time to where his family was, knew it was imminent, right? They knew he was going to die. And so they were, they were really getting worried about it, and they're, they're hoping that Jesus is going to arrive on time so that he could do what he does and heal Lazarus. And so Lazarus is going through that week of suffering and dying. And so he ends up passing away, Jesus comes to the scene four days later, and as you know, he brings Lazarus back to life. So Lazarus has just gone from being very, very sick to being dead and now being back to life. And all of a sudden, they want to kill him again. I mean, that is just, I'm telling you, sometimes in life, it's like, it can be like a roller coaster where you have these great days and then you have these times where you're just like, wow, God, did you forget about me? You know, and then you have these victorious moments. Yes, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. And then the next day you get, you know, something in the mail and you're just like, no, my life is over, right? I mean, this is kind of what Lazarus is going through. But by the way, um, it doesn't really tell you what happened there, okay? I'm, I'm assuming that Lazarus wasn't killed because I think that would have entered the story somewhere. But it doesn't really like kind of, it, it, the story continues, but it kind of jumps off of Lazarus and like focuses on Jesus, and so I'm, le- I'm left wondering, like, what happened to Lazarus, right? But I'm assuming nothing bad happened to him because his sisters are throughout the story. And so we pick up the story where um, the people that began to follow Jesus started to really, really grow. Okay, that crowd started to become a pretty significant crowd. Um, we learn also that Judas, one of Jesus' disciples, is a thief, okay? There's a couple verses right at the beginning of this chapter that let us know that Judas has been taking some of the money that they were collecting for the poor, and he was putting it in his pocket, okay? So we know, we know that Judas is a thief. As a matter of fact, um, he was so greedy that um, when one of Lazarus' sisters came and anointed Jesus with this expensive oil, right, this ex- really expensive perfume, um, then Judas got upset about it. He was like, that stuff's too expensive to be you know, just dumping on someone. He's like, that, that, could, that could have brought some pretty good money on the open market. And, and so you kind of begin to see the way Judas's mind works, and you begin to understand a little bit about his character. So that's something that we've learned right at the beginning. And then, of course, the chief priests are out to kill Jesus. They're out to kill Lazarus. Really what they want to do is they want to kill the momentum of Jesus' movement that's going on right now. So let's start with verse 12 of John chapter 12. And we'll kind of pick up the story there. It says, The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. 
A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Notice I said blessed. Jerry, did you get that? So, so here's, here's this crowd of people that have gathered to, to basically welcome Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem. Now, um, I, I, just, I want you to kind of maybe try to picture this, but, but have you ever been gone for a period of time and when you returned, like there was a welcome party for you or there was some, some sort of event, some sort of dinner, you know, kind of sada, something that, you know, people did something, they recognized, oh, this person that we love, that we really care about, they're back in town and they're back in our lives, okay? So if you can imagine like your, your best moment. I remember when I had been gone on a trip for a few days and, uh, and I was headed back into town and, you know, looking forward to seeing my family because I hadn't seen them for, for a little while. Of course, I had called them. I don't, I don't remember if I had been doing like Google Hangout or anything like that at this time. So I probably hadn't actually seen their faces, but I had talked to them, but it had been, been too long. And so I arrive home and, uh, and they had like this, this little welcome banner for me. And, and it, was, it, it was a thing celebrating Father's Day because Father's Day was such a busy day for us that we kind of had glossed over it a little bit or didn't really get to truly celebrate it. It wasn't a big deal for me, but it was a big deal for them. And they really wanted me to know that it was. And so they had this banner, you know, that was, greeted me um, that said something like Happy Dad's Day. And then, um, and then my wife had baked this cake. And it wasn't like, okay, if you, if you guys know my wife, okay, she doesn't just like, big, the average cake, right? She's always like way over the top, okay? And so this cake was like three or four tiers and like had all these, these colors inside of it. And so as you cut down to the cake and you open it up, then you see, you know, it was like basically a gift inside of a cake, right? So I'm just like, wow, this is so cool. And, I, and I'm like, man, I need to like go away and come back. That's like the secret to a happy life, right? Just go away and then come back, go away, come back, right? Every time you come back, people are happy to see you. By the way, it doesn't always work. Okay, don't let that be your, your uh, plan that you fall back on. But, but imagine a moment where people were just excited to see you and maybe they had come together to celebrate that. This is, this is the scene as Jesus walks into Jerusalem. And, uh, and, and these crowds that have gathered here, it, they're, they're not just here to see Jesus, okay? They're here to see what Jesus can do. Because these guys have been hearing all along that this guy does some pretty amazing stuff. And so as he is coming into town, they're gathering around, and they're, these are like the looky-loos, right? These are the people that are just like, something's going to happen, right? These are the people that when, you know, they're pulling out their cell phones, you know, getting ready to take a picture or a video when a fight breaks out at the mall, you know what I'm talking about? So, so they're like, there's, there's something exciting that's going to happen, and so they're gathering in this place so that they can check it out. So here's the thing. As these people are welcoming Jesus into a town, they're saying something that's pretty interesting, okay? They're, they're saying this phrase, Hosanna, and they're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. So they're shouting out this, this cry as Jesus is coming into town, and I want you to understand something. What they're saying to Jesus is the right thing, okay? Jesus deserves that kind of a greeting. So what they're saying is the right thing, but the reason that they're saying it is wrong. And, and this is the first thing that I want us to be able to draw out of this passage because if you're like me, you're going to find yourself in that crowd. And the thing that we find ourselves doing from time to time is the right thing for the wrong reason. The right thing for the wrong reason. We do that, guys. And this crowd is gathered in this place welcoming Jesus shouting out his praises, these are all the right things, but they're not doing it for the right reason. Now listen to the phrase that they're using. I want to kind of maybe help break this down for you guys so you understand, because sometimes we, we hear the word Hosanna, and sometimes we'll, you know, we'll sing a song, and it has the word Hosanna in it, and you ask yourself, what the heck does Hosanna mean, except for you don't really want to say that out loud because you want to just sing along and pretend like you know. Okay, and we just assume that Hosanna means something like, you know, hallelujah or praise the Lord or something like that, right? That's just our assumption, but, but it doesn't mean that. So Hosanna is a Hebrew word. It's not a praise. It is a cry for help. It's actually a combination of two Hebrew words, the word yasha, which means deliver or save, 
and the word ana, which means beg or beseech. Um, it appears in passages like in Psalms 118, verse 25, where it says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. So that phrase, save us, we pray, is the word Hosanna. Ashana. And Hosanna literally means, I beg you to deliver me. Or please save. Please save me. That's what the word Hosanna means. Now, I want you to understand something about this because you know how expressions kind of change over time? Right? So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think of expressions that I used when I was a kid and they don't mean the same thing that they mean today. Okay, so I've discovered that um, a lot of times when I try to be like, like cool, I try to be, cool is probably not even the word I could use to describe that effort, but but when I try to like kind of fit in, or I try to like identify with the modern generation, and when, if I ever find myself slipping into like trying to use some of the lingo that they use, I probably don't use it right. And so I just, I just avoid that. I just try to talk the way I talk, try not to like do the throwback to the 80s expressions, okay? Play it low on that, but, but try not to say things that might be misinterpreted. Have you ever said something and you had no idea what it meant? But you just had kind of heard it, and so you just like throw it out there, and then someone else is like, uh, I don't think you know what that means, okay? Uh, I've done that before. I've, I used an expression, and I just thought it meant this one thing, and someone came up to me and were like, hey, that's actually something that, that is kind of a, a sexual comment. And I'm like, oh, I'm not going to use that anymore, right? I did not know what that meant. And so I find that expressions change over time. Maybe you've discovered that too. Well, the same is true for this word Hosanna. It, it changed over time, and it went from this, this cry for help to just being this cry of, like, recognition for, of somebody. So when, when these guys are gathered here, and they're shouting out to Jesus, they're, they basically think they're saying, hail the king. You know, this guy's great. Give this guy some credit, right? They think that they're giving props to Jesus, and maybe they don't recognize that the actual verbiage that they're using is a cry for help. Guys, think about this. There are moments that on the outside, we might look like we're celebrating, but on the inside, we're crying out for help. And there's this crowd of people that have gathered to welcome Jesus, and every single one of them is broken and hurting, and some of them don't even know it. So the crowd's are looking to Jesus to save them. They're looking to Jesus to rescue them. And the reality is, these guys, this, this nation of people, this group of people who are, who are very, very religious by nature, okay? This, this is one of the, uh, the groups of people that, that they're not only a nation and a race, but they're also a religious group, okay? All combined into one. And so as these guys are constantly on the lookout for someone who's going to rescue them. Rescue them from what? Well, th these guys are in captivity. I mean, th they're not necessarily in, in prison, but they are, they are being occupied by the Roman government. And so they're not their own people. They don't have the same freedoms that we have. And they recognize that at some point, there's going to be a savior. They know the prophecies. They understand that at some point in time, someone is coming to save them. And in their minds, they think someone is going to overthrow the Roman government and make us a nation once again. That's their idea of salvation. And so they're looking for a Messiah who would rescue them as a nation, but Jesus came to rescue them as individuals. He wasn't coming to rescue them as a nation. He was coming to rescue each and every one of them as individuals. And the same thing is true for us today. See, the solution to our problems in the world today is not political or cultural. Mankind's primary need is always spiritual. My friends, your greatest need is spiritual. You can't fix the world's problems by changing the political landscape. You can't, you can't fix society by, by trying to have an impact for good on the culture. You know why? 
Because the only way to change our society, the only way to change our world is to start from the inside out. God needs to change people's hearts before their actions are ever gonna be any different. And Jesus was there to rescue people who desperately needed to be saved, not a nation that was, that was in captivity. So they kind of misunderstood the point of the Messiah in the first place. But they were doing more than just crying out for help. I mean, John 12, verse 13 says, they were saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. They were actually identifying Jesus as their king. They were saying, this person who has done these great things, this guy is worthy to be our ruler, to be our king. Kind of reminds me of something. It reminds me of something else that Jesus said in Matthew 15, verse 8. He said, these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. Now, how do we know that these people are bringing honor to Jesus with his, their lips, but their motives, their hearts, are far from him? Because that very same crowd, that very same crowd that was gathering on the streets, waving palm branches, laying, laying down their coats, that same group of people, one week later, are gathered together in the same city, shouting, crucify him. These people honored Jesus with their lips, but their hearts weren't for him. Proverbs 16.2 reminds us that all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. Like we think, we really think we know what we're doing, right? But the Lord examines the motives. So even on your best day, you could be doing it all wrong because your heart's not in the right place. Here's the thing. We are always willing to claim Jesus as our king when we're experiencing victory in life. When things are going good, when you're having an amazing week, you're like, yes, Jesus is on the throne, right? Praise, praise the Lord. That's the kind of attitude we have. But when things are going bad, when you're having the worst week ever, you're just like, God, where are you? Like, what happened? Why are you doing this to me? It's really easy for us to say, Jesus, you're my king, when everything is going great around you. Even for the disciples, this was true. Um, in the safety of the upper room, you know that place where Jesus said, let's gather together me and my followers, and we're going to have a nice dinner together, right? They didn't realize it was going to be the last one, right? But they gathered, he, Jesus gathered his disciples together, and that upper room was a place where they felt, felt safe and they felt comfortable. They're with Jesus. It was a good moment. It was a good time. And look at what Peter tells Jesus in Luke 22, verses 33 and 34. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you, even to die with you. I mean, he's, he is pledging his allegiance to Jesus. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. <laughs> Jesus is like, Peter, hold up. Um, I'm going to tell you what's really going on here. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even knew me. And it happened just like Jesus said. In fact, in that moment, that moment when Peter realized he had denied Jesus for the third time, he, he went off and cried his eyes out because he knew Jesus was right. Because he could have done anything to stop that from happening, but it happened just the way Jesus said. He denied him. And, and just the night before, he was like, Jesus, I'll, I'll, I'm willing to go to prison for life for you. I'm willing to die for you. How many of you guys made promises like that to God? I mean, let, I don't want you to raise your hand, but, but in your heart, be honest about this. And I'll just, I'll be straightforward with you. I have made these, promise, these kinds of promises to God where I was like, God, if you help me get out of this situation, I'll do whatever you want. And then as soon as things start going smoothly again, man, I, f I forgot all about that promise I made. Have you done that before? You're not unlike Jesus' followers. Here's the thing. We are quick 
to pledge allegiance to God when we're in circumstances that do not challenge our faith. When you're in a circumstance that, that isn't threatening you, sure, you can pledge your allegiance to Jesus. But when someone's being confrontational with you, and you have an opportunity to stand for what you believe, even though you might get hurt or insulted, what do you do? Most of the time we do what Peter did. We're like, man, I don't even know that guy. I've never seen him before in my life. And Peter actually said that. I've never seen the guy before in my life. And, which is a funny statement because everybody had seen Jesus at one point this time. Let's look back at our passage. So verse 14, continuing on. It says, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, fulfilling the prophecy that says, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at the time. But after Jesus entered into glory, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. So, so there were some significant things that were taking place. Not only was Jesus coming on the scene into Jerusalem for the sole purpose of giving his life for the world, but every step of the way there was fulfillment of prophecy. And so if somebody was really paying attention, they would have picked up on this. But what does it say the disciples were doing? It says they didn't get it. They didn't understand what was going on. And it wasn't too long after that that they were missing out on a lot of other stuff. Jesus had asked them, can you guys just be alert and pray for me? Comes back a few minutes later and they're all asleep. That's the way we are at times. A lot of times we're missing what God's doing. That's the second thing I want you to, to know today. We find ourselves once again in the story. We find ourselves missing what God's doing. You know, you know the passage that Jesus fulfilled in this prophecy? It's from Zechariah 9, verse 9. It goes like this. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Now, picture the irony of this situation, because as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, they are giving him a king's welcome. But, but he's not riding into town on a, on a war horse, right? He's not coming in down the street on a white charger, right? He's coming on a donkey, and, and not even a full-grown donkey, right? I mean, it doesn't get much more humble than that. Uh, I mentioned to someone this morning about my first car. Um, it was a, a Datsun 510. I wish I had a picture for you guys so you could really appreciate the car the way I do. But uh, it was just this little yellow sedan, and you could actually literally sit in the back seat of the car and like put your hand out each window, you know, on either side. Um, just this little tiny car. I love that thing. I did. Man, I drove that thing everywhere. Got some nice little rims for it. Get out there and shine them up, right? I love that bad boy, right? But I remember when my, when my best friend got a, by the way, back in the day, this was like a cool thing to have. He got like this, this brand new Nissan mini truck that was slammed, right? It was lowered to the ground and, and he had this incredible stereo system in it. And I remember one time looking at our cars in the parking lot. There's his car and there's mine. I'm like, no, those two cars don't belong together. <laughs> they don't belong in the same place. And, and I remember being self-conscious at times. You know, matter of fact, sometimes I would pull up for something and I would like, you know, kind of park out of sight so that when I walk up, people wouldn't know what car I got out of, right? <laughs> that was pretty humbling. We, we don't like being humbled. Right? We, we want to roll up in a nice car. We want people to see the very best of who we are. You know why that is? Because we're not very much like Jesus. When Jesus comes on the scene, he comes like a lowly servant, riding on a donkey, not on a, a big, proud horse, like a king returning from battle or a king you know, entering into the city to get the, the glory that he deserved. Jesus comes on the donkey. And the reality is Jesus was coming to let people know, I'm not, 
I'm not here to make war. I'm not here to have this this great victory that you're going to see with your eyes that you're going to witness. I'm not here to overturn this kingdom. I'm here to save your souls. I'm here to be the Savior that loves you and that cares about you and that humbly comes into your presence and makes you the greatest offer in the world. That's, That's the Savior that we worship. So sometimes we're really missing out on what's really going on on what God's really doing. Why is that? Well, when, when we become preoccupied with our situation, we miss the big picture of what God's doing. We get so obsessed with, with what's going on in our lives, with the circumstance at hand. Guys, here's the thing that you need to understand. Your circumstance, the situation that you find yourself in, that is not the main point. Okay? Your life is not defined by the moment that you're in right now. Okay? Sometimes we, we have these experiences, these, these challenging moments, and we say to ourselves, that's, that's me, right? I'm always struggling. I'm always failing. I'm always, you know, up against something. But guys, that, that is not what defines us. We're, we're missing the big picture of what God is doing in our lives if we become preoccupied with those moments. We need to understand that God is, is, is working and he's moving We've got to pay attention to what God is doing. Hebrews 12 verse 1 says, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to the truth we've heard so that we do not drift away. You know, another thing that we, that we do that, that causes us to miss out on what God's doing, we miss what God's doing when we're not familiar with his promises. When we pay attention to God's word, we're more aware of what he's doing around us. That is the only book in the world that is like that. The more attention you pay to this book, the more attention you give God's word, the more the world around you is going to make sense. The more the things around you, you're going to understand what's going on. You're going to begin to see God moving and working in the lives of the people around you. Why? Because you're more and more familiar with with how God works. Philippians 1 verses 9 and 10, Paul, Paul says this, he says, I pray that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding, for I want you to understand what really matters. He's saying the more you grow in your knowledge and your understanding of God and who he is, the more you're going to understand what really matters in life. See, if we want to understand what really matters in this life, we need to pay close attention to what God is saying. And my friend, you, you can't hear God's voice if you're always tuned in to the world, if you're always tuned in to the culture, if you're always tuned in to what's going on around you. You've got to get away. You've got to spend some time with your Savior. Or you're just not going to have a clue what's going on in life. Now, we kind of tease people that, that miss stuff, right? You, you have a friend like that that kind of, you know, something happens, you're like, what happened? What did I miss, Right? You tell a joke, they're the only one not laughing, like, what, you know, maybe, if you don't have a friend like that, that's probably you, right? <laughs> but, but here's the thing, God doesn't want us to work, go our way through life, missing out on what's going on. If you want to see the world with clarity, if you really want to understand what's happening, you really understand, want to understand what's important, you need to pay attention to God. God, your attention on God is what allows you to prioritize your life. And a lot of us are living lives without focus. A lot of us are living lives that, that are not ordered by any kind of, you know, it's like we set goals, but we never accomplish them, right? It's like we make all these plans, but we never actually get there. Do hey, you ever wonder why that happens? You ever wonder why, you, you know, you, you, you have these priorities in your life, but they always seem to be like upside down, and, and you're just like, oh, man, that, that, why is it life like that? Guys, if your attention is not on God, don't expect to have any focus in this life. Don't expect this life to make sense. If your attention is not on God, you're just going to be missing what God's doing. Just like the disciples in that moment, they were, just, they were missing the big picture. They didn't see what was going on. Let's jump back into our story. Verse 17. The crowd that had been with him 
when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason, this is what I mentioned earlier, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. So they'd heard about this miracle, and that was the reason they were there to meet Jesus. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see, there's nothing we can do. Look, the whole world has gone after him. These guys are like, what what can we do about this situation? Like, everybody is following Jesus. It is the popular thing to do right now. And, And we just can't go against the crowd. We can't have any effect here because these guys are following after each other in an effort to follow after Jesus or to see Jesus do something. What's happening here? Once again, we find ourselves in this story and we discover that oftentimes we're persuaded by popular opinion. Persuaded by popular opinion. Guys, here's the thing. If you're always pursuing what's popular, your priorities will be constantly changing and you'll never be able to focus. If you're constantly being persuaded by what's popular, by what's, you know, what everybody else is doing, you're never going to have any focus because you're always going to be going with the next biggest thing. Your plans are constantly going to be changing. You're always going to be chasing after some other big dream. And the reality is there's only one thing that God wants us to focus on. See, just because it's popular doesn't mean it's God's plan. Once again, we go back to this crowd that gathered here. They were doing the right thing, but they were doing it for the wrong reason. They were just there because someone else said, hey, let's go check it out. They didn't want to be left out. I love what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 1 and 2. I'm going to read it from the message for you guys. It says, remember how you were when you didn't know God, led from one phony God to another? Never knowing what you were doing, just doing it because everybody else did it. Does that sound familiar? It's different in this life. God wants us to use our intelligence to seek to understand as well as we can. Man, how many of you guys, don't raise your hand, but how many of you guys did this just describe your life? (laughs) Being led from one phony God to another, never knowing what you're doing, just doing it because everybody else did it. You know, you might say to yourself, well, that was me in high school, right? Or, you know, that was, that was me back in the day. But, I mean, think about it. We still are doing the same things. It just looks different. Just our situation is different. We're a little bit older, but we're still making the same mistakes. We're still doing the same things that we always did. Why is that? Because we're persuaded by popular opinion. We always want to be doing what the next person is doing because we don't want to stand out. We don't want to stand out in a negative way, right? So we just want to fit in. But here's the problem. If you're prone to following popular opinion, you'll eventually be led down the road to outright deception. Pretty soon it's no longer chasing after a fashion or a certain kind of lifestyle. Pretty soon you find yourselves completely deceived. You find yourself believing something is true that's not. You find yourself in a a pretty dangerous place. That's, That's where the road of following popular opinion ends up. That's why Bible tells us in 1 John 3, 7, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, even as Christ is righteous. Don't be led astray. Just because it's popular doesn't mean that it's what God wants you to do. As a matter of fact, usually if it's popular, that's a good indication that it's not something God wants you to do. You know, that's what was happening in this crowd. As they gathered that day, they were doing the popular thing. They were were gathering together to see what was going to happen. They were kind of all one voice, saying the right things, but not for the right reason. Following after popular opinion. I love how C.S. Lewis describes what's happening here. He says, triumphal Sundays 
and Good Fridays always fit comfortably into the same week. You get it? Sunday, you're celebrating God and all his victories. Friday, you're hating him. Palm Sunday, the crowds are calling him king, asking him to be the ruler. Friday, that same, that same week, on Friday, they're shouting out, crucify him. They're shouting out, kill the guy. I want to read this couple verses at the end of our chapter. Starting with verse 42. It says, Many people did believe in him. However, including some of the Jewish leaders. So there were actually some of the religious leaders that believed in Jesus as well. Matter of fact, we talked about a couple of those guys. But then it says this, but they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. It says not everybody in that crowd was a poser. Not everybody in that crowd was just there to see the show. Some people really believed in Jesus, but they had this fear in their hearts that if they said something, that if somebody knew what they believed, that if somebody knew that they wanted to put their faith in Jesus, then they would be rejected. Guys, fear of rejection, that is going to be the biggest obstacle between you and doing what God wants you to do in your life. The fear that the people around you are not going to accept who you are. That if they really knew that you were a follower of Jesus, that you love him, that they wouldn't accept you. When the reality is, we need to not worry about the opinions of others. Instead, we need to say, this is who I am. I'm a follower of Jesus. And I want you in, to invite you to come along with me on this journey with him. Guys, don't get caught up in the crowd. Jesus is looking for followers, not fans. Earlier this week, someone had posted a, a picture of Justin Bieber on, out on the street. And uh, I probably wouldn't have known it was Justin Bieber because you know, I don't look at a lot of pictures of him. But uh, <laughs> I just assume it was because the person's account was like, the account name was like All Day Bieber or something like that. Like, you know, it's like this account was like all about Justin Bieber, right? And, and they posted this, this picture of him and he was just like walking down the street. And as he's walking along, he's like got his, uh, I don't know, his fancy drink. You know, it's like a, a frou-frou coffee drink. And he's walking along and it's, it's like, leaning, you know, kind of like it's spilling a little bit and, and, um, and then someone says the comment that it's like, he's perfect in every way. I'm like, uh, he's spilling his coffee. <laughs> like, don't know if that's how I would describe it, but, but I was like, man, and there's like all these people that are, you know, that are liking this and all these people that are retweeting this and I'm just like, man, it must be tough being Justin Bieber, right? I mean, you just cross the street and you got all these crazy fans after you, right? So I want to see you take a sip of your coffee. You know, sometimes we just are excited about the idea of Jesus. We're just, you know, it's like, it's like we're, we're Jesus fans. It's like we're, we're go Jesus, right? But like Peter, when times get tough and we really have to make hard decisions, we take the easy way out and we deny him. Guys, Jesus doesn't need any more fans he doesn't need any more people that think he's awesome. No, Jesus needs people that really, truly want to follow him and they want their lives to be different because of it. It's just not just a trendy thing to do. How they really, really want their lives to be different and they're willing to do whatever it takes to follow after Jesus. Does that describe you? If that doesn't describe you, you're missing something. You're actually missing a lot. Because God didn't create you. God didn't uniquely design you 
to live this life here on earth and miss the big picture. Don't be one of the crowd on Palm Sunday. Be a true follower of Jesus. What what does that mean for us? It means that our hearts, the motives of our hearts, are going to line up with our actions. It means that we're really doing what we do because we believe it and not just because it's popular. So this is an invitation. It's an invitation for us to step away from the crowd to say, you know what? I'm not here just to see what Jesus can do for me. I'm here to offer Jesus my life. To say, Jesus, what can I do? What can I give you? That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. You know, there was only a a small handful of people, maybe two people, in the crowd that following Friday that really believed in Jesus, that were really willing to die for him. And Jesus actually had a conversation with them from the cross. I believe that, that John, the guy who wrote this Gospel of John that we've been studying, he got it. And I believe Mary, Jesus' mom, she got it. But think about that. Hundreds and thousands of people that completely missed the point. My friend, that's, that's a description of the world that we live in. Thousands of people missing the point of life itself and just a small handful who get it. Guys, come away from the big crowd. Come away from the big crowd who doesn't really know what's going on. Jesus is inviting you in to be a true follower of him. As we get ready to, to, to continue this week into Good Friday, I, I really hope that you come this Friday evening. There's going to be some great food at 6 o'clock, and then we're going to have our, our service at 7. But I encourage you to be there. Uh, continue with the story. Understand. Pay attention. Focus in on what God is doing. Because if your attention is on God, you're going to know what's going on around you. There, and there's a lot of other stuff that wants to draw our attention away from Jesus. Don't let that happen. Don't find yourself caught up in the crowd. Come away from the crowd. Spend some time with Jesus. You, you will not regret that. Would you guys bow your heads with me? I just want to extend an invitation today to every one of you. Maybe you look at your life, you look at the way things have been going and and you, you recognize things are not right. You recognize that you're you've been easily swayed by popular opinion. That one day you think this is important, the next day you think this is important. I mean, if you find yourself in that place where you where you don't have focus and you're just kind of running with the crowd, guys, that's exactly what these guys were doing on Palm Sunday. And Jesus is asking you to step away, step away from that crowd and step into his plan for your life. And so I want to invite you to do the same thing. I don't know where you're at in life. I, you know, I don't even need to know. I don't know what struggles you're up against. I don't know what is tugging at your heart and pulling you away from Jesus. But let me just say this. Jesus offers stands. And he's inviting you to come to him, step away from the crowd, to come to him. And maybe, maybe you're here today and, and that's something you need to do for the first time. Maybe you've never given your heart to Jesus and this is your moment. God is calling you to give your heart to him. If that's a decision you need to make right now, I just encourage you in, in the quietness of this moment, would you just cry out to God Say Hosanna to God, but mean it in the true sense of the word. Lord, please save me. Save me for myself. 
Save me from the path that I'm, that I'm headed down. Rescue me, God. You know, it's a simple prayer like that that begins a beautiful relationship with God. So if that's you today, and the simple prayer of your heart is just, God, rescue me. I'm ready to be saved. Rescue me from the crowd. I want to be a follower of you. And maybe you're here today, and you, you're like those, those ones that, you know, they really believed in Jesus, but, you know, they were just afraid that if they said something, that if they made their, their faith known, that they were going to be rejected that they were going to experience some kind of a hardship because of that. Guys, that's not the life Jesus has called you to live. Jesus wants you to proudly declare your faith in him, not in an arrogant way, not in a way that ticks people off, but in a way that shows your allegiance to God, that humbly expresses, I believe. And maybe that's the decision you need to make today. So maybe in the quietness of this moment, you can just... Make that the expression of your heart. Make that your prayer. God, I I thank you. You're a God that loves us, that was willing to come to this earth, not to ride into town on on the mighty horse, God, but to enter humbly as a servant. I thank you that you made the biggest sacrifice of all. God, may we never be found in the, in the crowd just going along with what everybody else is doing. But help us, Father, to come away so we can really see what you're up to. That's the prayer of my heart for the people in this room. Thanks, God. Thanks for being a God whose beautiful offer stands throughout time. For being a God that's always there, always inviting, always loving us. Love you, God. Amen. You've been listening to a presentation of Remnant. For more information, visit us at remnantchurchonline.com.